last few weeks, we have been walking through a little series that we're finishing today called Lowercase Letters. And we have examined four small letters uh, in the New Testament, uh, each of them that oftentimes is overlooked in some ways because they are small, kind of insignificant, kind of tucked in between other books. And it's easy to miss the, 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 the truths that are lying in those books. And I've enjoyed um, this series. I uh, appreciated Michael and Tyler both taking a, a book and, and sharing in that and listening to those thoughts and just contemplating. I love these little books for the reason that I think they, they, they put skin on, on some of the bigger truths that you find elsewhere in Scripture. Like what's it look like um, to practice hospitality and how do we think about that? How do we live with that? And those kind of things. And these little books help us. And, and I appreciate this book today that we're going to look at today, the book of Philemon. Um, it's one of Paul's shortest books, and, uh, and, and so it exists for us, and I, I love the truth that it gives us because I think it reflects upon the change that God wants to see growing in our life. And when, when we read a lot about, well, God wants to change you, or Jesus wants to change you, what's that mean? What's that look like? I think Philemon gives us a firsthand account of what change looks like in the lives of people that are just growing in their faith, following Jesus day by day. Pastor Stephen Cole tells the story of two brothers who were convicted of stealing sheep. Um, and, of course, that was always been a terrible crime. And this was back in the day when, when they caught you for that, they would brand you uh, as a punishment. And so they were both branded on the forehead with the letters ST, standing for sheep thief. Well, one brother, after the fact of that, just couldn't bear the shame of that. So he quickly fled town, went someplace else to try to start over, never to return to town. The other brother, though, chose a different course. He said, I can't run from what I did, and so I'll stay here, and I will try to win back the respect of my neighbors. And as the years passed, he built a solid reputation for integrity day by day and week by week and year by year until he was now an, an older man, still with the mark, though, on his forehead reflecting what had happened. One day a stranger was walking through town and passed him and, and saw the letters on his forehead. And he, he asked another townsperson um, what they signify. And the townsperson said, it happened a long time ago. I'm not actually sure what happened. I can't remember the particulars. But I think the letters are an abbreviation for saint. Uh, and I appreciated that story because I think that reflects the change that God wants to see happen in our lives over time. That we may start off with certain characteristics or attitudes or habits, but over the course of walking with Christ, letting the gospel work its way into our life, um, what once was maybe a negative, once was a flaw in our life, it becomes something that is changed and our character becomes something new. Paul reflects this um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, when he says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. And in that passage, Paul is reflecting, and not just a one-time event, but I, I think the implication of that passage is that old things continue to go away, and new things continue to come. And that's what I love about the book of Philemon, because I think it gives us a picture of what does that look like. What should I be looking for? Uh, what should I be aspiring to in my life? In your bulletin, uh, you'll find a little paragraph at the bottom of one of those inside pages that talks about that we exist to help people become faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here, that anyone we can influence in that direction, we want to do so. And we do that with four steps. 
that um, as you think about them, the last few years we've kind of emphasized them. Two years ago, we kind of camped out on the, on the, on the theme of we want to be here people, we help people become disciples as, as they know Christ as their Lord and their Savior. Last year, we kind of emphasized the idea of belonging, and it was fun to watch things begin to grow and develop that created a sense of belonging and places where people could be known or know other people. And so this year, I want to set a theme for us. It's the theme of grow into Christ's image, that third word, uh, that third step that we think about. Um, and as we think about that, what I want us to, to focus on here these next few weeks is Philemon's going to introduce this idea of growth to us. And I hope that you'll be with us these next few weeks because we're going to start a series in which we're going to look at some prayers uh, from the New Testament that help us to be in the, to pray towards growth. That God, would you help me to grow in this and help me to have your heart in this. And so uh, I hope that you'll be with us as we think about that. Uh, but here's the, the key heart of what, the heart of what we want to say today. That if you claim to know Christ, but if there is no pattern of change that exists in your life, then you need to re-question that claim. That you really need to go back and say, do I really know Christ if there is no pattern of life change in my life at work? If there's no pattern of difference in my speech or, or my habits of serving people or helping people or the way I look at the world or giving or whatever area it may be. If there is no pattern of change and I claim to know Christ, then I need to question that claim. It's because God changes every person whom he saves through the gospel. And I've highlighted a word in that phrase, that God changes every person whom he, um, whom he saves through the gospel. If you go to that next slide, if you would. So, um, that God changes every person, okay? And that you and I sometimes I think, well, well, that serious life change stuff is for serious Christians. It's for those leader kind of people or those people that are on, out there. But the story of the, the Bible is never, it's just for an exclusive group of people. That life changes for every follower of Christ as we engage him and allow the gospel to work its way into our life. The ripple effects of that are significant and they are um, long-lasting. And so I want to introduce this book of Philemon to us this morning. I want to introduce us to the three characters, tell you a little bit about each of the three, and then we're going to read the book together and then make some applications out of that. There are three people, three names to know that really, if you want to understand the book of Philemon, you need to know, okay? One of them you probably know, the other two you probably don't. The letter is written uh, to a guy by the name of Philemon, who was a church leader, also a master, owned some slaves, and we'll talk about that in a moment, uh, had some slaves that because he was a wealthier man, and in that culture, that was kind of what you did. And so Philemon is, is one of Paul's short letters that he writes to, to, Paul writes to Philemon to help him wrestle with an issue that had come up, a relational issue uh, that was existent in his time. And so Paul, you know, the apostle, who is now in prison, probably in Rome, um, had been, though, in near Philemon, uh, probably in the city of Ephesus or uh, Colossae. If you read the book of Ephesians or Colossians, they both are the kind of the same area there. And I think the story kind of implies that at some point Paul had been in Ephesus because he says he's never been to Colossae. So he'd been in Ephesus. Philemon was probably there. And in the course of their interactions, Paul led Philemon to the Lord. And so he became a Christian, he began to grow in that, and then we went back to his town in Colossae, or Laodicea, some of those cities there, uh, a church began to meet in their home. And so some of the names we're going to meet at the beginning of this letter are, are probably Philemon and his wife, maybe his family, maybe the, the pastor of their church that met there, that is the leader of their home church there. And so they meet in this little congregation, and they serve there. 
Again, Philemon is probably a wealthier man uh, with the implication that he owns slaves. Now, let's just say something quickly about the slave thing um, because a lot of people look at Philemon and think, well, why doesn't Paul just come out and, and really lambast the whole slavery idea and, and, and kind of are against this book because he doesn't do that? Um, and really the best answer and the short answer would be simply this, that Paul never comes out and just says, hey, everybody's free, the old Abe Lincoln Emancipation Proclamation thing. But I love what N.T. Wright says in a, a little study he does on Philippians, excuse me, Philemon, when he says this, that what Paul does is put a time bomb against the institution of slavery by insisting that people are treated as fully human beings with rights and responsibilities. They are not just property. And so instead of just opening the gates and changing everything immediately from the outside in, what Paul does and what the New Testament church does, what the gospel really does, is it begins to change things from the inside out because it begins to cause us to look at people differently. No longer are we classes of people where we can do whatever we want to other classes of people, but in Christ we are all equal. We are the same as we will see by the end of this. And one by one from the inside out, you begin to see the attitude towards slavery and the institution of slavery change. And so where we oftentimes reference to slavery is, is racial, um, uh, African slave trade and those kinds of things that happened in the last few centuries, this would not have been a racial thing. This wasn't white against black. This was just cultural. You could, it doesn't matter what color you were, you could be a slave. It was very much economical and institutional as opposed to racial. But what Paul does through little letters like this is he sets little time bombs there that as they begin to go off in the hearts of people, things begin to change in how people are treated. And so over the course of time, the value of a human being that we just take for granted in our constitution as, as people, as we think of one another, that wasn't always the case. That is very much a gospel thing, a Jesus thing that has worked its way into our thinking. And we assume that to be the case today, but it wasn't always that way. And Paul and others like him helped to change the world in the way that we think. And so there's Paul and there's Philemon, and there's one more character that exists in this story. It's the, it's the gentleman Onesimus. And Onesimus is a slave who belonged to Philemon. And Onesimus apparently wasn't a very good slave. Onesimus's name means useful. But Paul, as we're going to read this letter in a second, Paul is going to say to Philemon, Onesimus was not very useful, implying the fact that he wasn't a very good servant in the house. Probably had a bad attitude. Maybe he stole things. Maybe he was just begrudging, just kind of tried to do everything he could to, to prove to Philemon that I don't want to be here. And he looked for a chance to escape. And eventually he does. And the implication is that he stole some things and he fled and ran away. And so uh, Onesimus has this runaway slave, excuse me, Philemon has this runaway slave named Onesimus. Now to be a runaway slave in that culture uh, could set you up to be uh, executed as a runaway slave. You could be severely beaten, punished. Bad things could happen to you if you were caught in the condition of being a runaway slave. And so there's this tension that exists between Onesimus um, and Philemon. Well, the funny thing is that the story is, is that eventually, somehow, in God's working of things, Onesimus finds his way to where Paul is. And as things would have it, Paul preaches the gospel to Onesimus. Onesimus surrenders to Christ. And now you have Onesimus, who's now also a believer. He wasn't before, but he is now. And so Paul knows Philemon, and Paul knows Onesimus. And so he's trying to think, okay, the gospel calls us towards reconciliation. The gospel calls us to unity. And so how do I get these two? 
an offended master who has been done wrong, who's been uh, stolen from and, and treated poorly, and a runaway slave who doesn't really want to go back. How do I bridge the gap there? And this is where the gospel, this whole growth thing begins to take place. And so let's read our letter. Let's set some context for you. This is what Paul sits down and writes to his friend and his fellow loved co-worker Philemon about his also loved and now forgiven and new, new, new brother in Christ, uh, Onesimus. This is what he writes to him um, to try to, to bridge the gap. And again, watch how grace, watch how mercy, watch how Christ is kind of inter, interspersed, interwoven through this letter, okay? Uh, Philemon, verse 1 says this, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our, our beloved brother and fellow worker. So again, this is, Paul thinks well of Philemon. He is a helpful servant, a helpful co-worker in the Lord. And Aphia, our sister, is probably his wife. And to Archippus, our fellow soldier, maybe one of the, the other ministry leader there in the town. And to the church that meets in your house. So this isn't just to Philemon, this is the whole group, because we all have to think about how do we how are we going to think about Onesimus? How are we going to treat him? What are we going to do with this guy now? So grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. In other words, may God continue to grow in you through Christ and just bring out this love and this faithfulness and this sharing, this partnership, this fellowship for a kingdom cause. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. So Philemon's doing a good work. He's an encouraging, he's a blessing to the kingdom of God. Therefore, though I, ha I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you. And know what he's doing. He's the apostle. Right? He's the boss. He could say to Philemon, hey, look, I'm, I, I'm in charge here. You forgive him. Force it from the outside in and make him do the right thing. It's kind of like getting your kids to do the chores. They don't want to do it, but you can make him do it because you're bigger and badder than they are. Okay, And so they, he could take that approach. But he says to Philemon, I'm not going to use my authority, even though I am an apostle, to do that. I want this to be something that comes from the inside out. I want love to lead this, not authority uh, to lead this. And so he says, since I, am, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, in other words, he's an old man, and now as a, also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. And here's where he kind of kicks it in here, okay? We all know the situation, Philemon. We know he's, he ran off from you and didn't go very well, didn't treat you very well. You're, there's anger and bitterness and separation there. I appeal to you, though, for my child, not your former slave, but my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten, in other words, I've led him to the Lord in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, there's the play of words on his name, but now is both useful to you and to me. In other words, I'm sending him back to you, he is, he's changed, he's becoming a better man, but he's also useful to me in my ministry here in Rome, out of my imprisonment. So I am sending him back to you in person, that is sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf, he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. In other words, he's, what he's hoping happens is that he goes home, Onesimus realizes, excuse me, Philemon realizes that Onesimus is now a fellow worker for the gospel. He sets him free so that Onesimus can come back and continue to serve with Paul. He's expressing that desire. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, 
but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this very reason separated you for a while. So he kind of deals with the whole providence of God. Maybe all of these troubling things that have happened in your home, and your household, maybe God has used them to do something really cool. Perhaps it was for this reason he was separated you for a while that you would have him back forever, not just as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Now at the end of this message, we're going to kind of land on this whole theme of, um, of see the gospel at work in this. You see how Paul kind of is taking the role of Jesus in this situation. Now he's not claiming to be Jesus, but he's saying, look, I'll be the burden bearer. I'll take on the pain. I'll take on the suffering, the consequences. Bring that on me so that there could be peace and reconciliation between you. If he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. And then he just mentions, there's a little wink, I think, not to mention to you that you owe me, you owe to me even your very soul as well. In other words, remember this whole salvation thing that you are loving and enjoying? I helped you to get there. Remember that? So don't forget that as you think about how you treat uh, Onesimus now. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also prepare me a lodging for I hope that through your prayers, I will be given to you. In other words, I'll be delivered from prison and I'm going to be able to make a trek to your house and I want to stay in your home. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits. So what's going on here? You've got Paul trying to reconcile Philemon with Onesimus, not as a master and a slave now, but as two brothers in Christ. And so what do we do with that? What do we do with it? Well, I think you have, what you have at work here is a picture of what godly change looks like, of what godly change looks like as it's carried out and, and shown in, in real relationships, which is why this is such a helpful little book for us. And so here's what I want to share. I just want to look at three things really quickly here, just as applications out of what we just read and shared to kind of land this for you. Number one, what does godly change look like? Well, number one, it means that God changes your character, that God changes your character. Um, one commentator made the, the astute observation of this, that everyone in this story is behaving differently than he would have before meeting Jesus Christ. Everybody in this story is behaving differently now that they've met Jesus and the gospel is at work in their life. Everyone's acting differently than they did before they met Jesus. Again, just a couple examples of that. Think of Paul's life. You know, by this time, Paul is a well-established Christian leader. He's an apostle. Uh, he's the guy. He's leading Christianity in a lot of ways. But look where he's come from. You read this letter, and he is kind. He is gracious. He is sensitive. He is praising good qualities in others. He is asking for help. He is vulnerable. He has all these wonderful traits. But that's not who Paul used to be before Jesus. The book of Acts, chapters 7, 8, and 9, paint a very different picture of who Paul was before he met Jesus. Acts chapter 7, he's the guy who very willingly is willing to hold the cloaks of the men who stoned Stephen to death because he was preaching about Jesus. Acts chapter 8 says that Paul was ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women. So he had no uh, concern for life. He just he had a passion uh, to 
pushes faith regardless of how it hurt people. He put them in prison. Acts chapter 9, he talks about how he, he goes to Damascus breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So again, this is a man that's been changed. He is acting very differently than he was before he met Jesus. Again, he's changing. His character is changing. He's become a very different man because the gospel has worked in his life. And, and so God has changed Paul's character, but he's also changing the character of Onesimus. Um, God is changing Onesimus' character as well. Onesimus had not been a Christian at all very long like Paul had been, but there was already some major changes going on in his character. Because again, remember, Paul says, he used to be useless to you. He wasn't a very good servant in your home. He didn't take good care of things. Maybe he stole things. He was rude. Maybe he was ungrateful, whatever it may have been. But now, look at where he's at. He's willing to embrace the fact, I did Philemon wrong. And I'm willing to go back and make that right. He's taking responsibility for himself. Paul says he is now very useful. He is a good servant. He is willing to go and he's very helpful to me. He's a great person to have around. And so he has gone from being useless to being useful. And so he is changing the character of Onesimus. And so I would just simply ask the question of you and me. Are you, am I, allowing God to change your character? Maybe you've walked with Christ for a long time. But I would just simply ask you, do you continue to see evidence of life change in your life? Do you see old habits, old ways of speaking, maybe gossipy or rudeness or whatever? Do you see that softening and your words become more encouraging, more godly? Or maybe the, the way that you act. Maybe there's anger that used to lead your life and you used to be characterized as an angry person. But as you mature, as the gospel works in your life, do you find yourself being a more peaceful person for teenagers? Does, it, does God change your character from being grumbly and snappy to your parents to, be, to being cheerfully compliant? Or, or as moms and dads, do, do, do our kids see us changing to be more godly men and women and examples we set for them? In our marriages, in our homes, in our workplaces, does God see us changing in our character? Do people see us changing as God works on our character? And so one thing I think this, this little letter shows us is it just gives us a picture. What does growth look like? Well, growth looks like a change of character, not instantly. Again, this doesn't happen simply because this letter had to be written. We had to deal with it. We had to wrestle with these hard things. But through the wrestling, through the seeking, through the following of Jesus, their character would change. But a second thing is this. What does godly change look like? It means changes in your relationships with others. As you understand the gospel and what that means for you about what Christ has done for you, and you begin to see your character change, you can't help but see that reflected in how that changes in your relationships and how you interact with people around you. There's an extension of that character that is revealed as you look at these letters. Two things happen. They're both connected. You find Philemon and Onesimus that are alienated from each other because there's a class system at work there that they have violated, and, and, and Onesimus is in big trouble on one hand. But you've also got the pride of, of Philemon to say, well, I can't treat him nicely because he's beneath me. And so you've got all of those social tensions at work, but you've also got just this sense of alienation. Look, you did me wrong, and I hate the way you treated me. Both of them had this alienated spirit between them. But what is Paul calling them to? He's calling them to a spirit of reconciliation. He's calling them to look at this and say, look, you used to look at your lives these way, this way, 
but it's different now. That God, as he works in your life, God's heart is for reconciliation. And we ought to own that heart too. And so you see Paul and Philemon and Onesimus trying to pursue God's heart of reconciliation in a situation where there's, there's anger and bitterness and, and, and just some brokenness and alienation. And where is that coming from? I think a second step in that is that it's from relating to others on the basis of social status to relating as family. And I think that's a huge step. That what you find when the gospel really takes root is no longer do we see that all the things that every society uses to isolate and, and put people in boxes with. We do it in our culture with race, skin color, gender, politics, economics, on a smaller scale, what a school you attend. We don't talk to those people because they go to that school. And all those silly things that we divide over. But the gospel just busts through those kinds of things over and over Several, a couple weeks ago, I wasn't preaching, so I was in Sunday school, and there was a video we showed that had a breakdown of all the Roman classes of people, and it looks like this. Um, that's a list of, of all the different classes you could be in. Um, you could be a, a wealthy Roman, a freeborn Roman. You could be a person who bought your, bought your freedom, bought your Roman citizenship. You could be a freed slave. You could be a slave. You could be a non-Roman. You could be all these different things, and people treated you in correlation to the rank that they were and what you were. And so if you're at the bottom of this list, if you're one of those slave kind of people, and maybe Philemon's one of those higher people, he's a Roman, maybe he's, he's got, apparently got some wealth to him. And so you would not treat that person with dignity at the bottom of that. That would not be something culturally that they would do. That would be unacceptable. And yet what is the gospel calling them to do? It's, it's erasing those lines, which why do some people really resist Christianity because it began to erase some uncomfortable lines that, that we grew up this way. And this is the way Ro good Roman people live and act. And, and yet the gospel comes along and Paul is saying to Philemon, he's no longer your slave. He is your brother in Christ. And the same grace that saved you and that puts you in right standing with God is the same grace that saved him. It wasn't because you were a good Roman that he saved you. It was because you were a desperate sinner who repented. And it wasn't anything that Onesiphorus had done. It was simply the same faith, the same repentance that brought him to salvation. And there's this equality. And so Philemon, Paul is painting this picture of, you know what, you guys got to learn to see each other in a different way. Take off old glasses, put on new lenses that help you to see each other in new ways. And the gospel does that when it's embraced. That's one of those things that changes, that we begin to see people differently. I love this story. I think it was NBCnews.com had this story yesterday that I saw of, of a guy by the name of Ken Parker. Yesterday was the anniversary of the rally in Charlottesville, Virginia a year ago that turned into a violent clash and uh, killed one. Um, but Ken Parker, you'll see on the left there, at one point was a high leader in the KKK and, and was very, very instrumental in, in leading that day. And, and, uh, but his life began to change that day because he had some health issues by the end of that day. And he was befriended and treated with kindness by someone that he came there to protest, someone of a darker skin color. And they showed him kindness and it began to make him think. And then he met um, the guys on the right, the pastor by the name of, of William McKinnon III, who preaches at a small church there in that area. And, and they, they happened to share an apartment complex and, and Pastor McKinnon was, was having a barbecue near the pool and, and somehow Ken and he began to have a conversation. He didn't know he was a preacher at that point and eventually invited him to church. And, and you see that 
Ken's life has begun to change. And now uh, Ken worships in this mostly African-American church and he's accepted and he's found relationships there. And, and his way of seeing was changed because the gospel began to change. And he saw himself differently. He saw his standing before God differently. And it began to erase some of those previous existing uh, lines. And, and so the gospel will do that when we allow it to lead us. It changes how we have relationships with these other, other people. But thirdly, and this is where we'll end, that it changes your relationship with him. It changes your relationship with God. Again, as we read this, I kind of tried to nudge you to think about it. As you read this letter, look for the gospel at work here. Because in many ways, if you take the story of what Christ did for us, lost sinners before God, you find Paul kind of taking that role and playing the role of Jesus to a lost um, slave. And how do you make this right? It was Martin Luther, I think, um, who said this, that we are all the Lord's Onisimi. I think that's the plural of Onisimus. I don't know what the plural of Onisimus, I guess it's Onisimi. But he makes the statement that, that you and I are... We're, we can see ourselves in this story without much of a stretch. What he means is this, that God created you to serve him, and he is your rightful owner and master. But like Onesimus, you rebelled against him. You said, I will not have this master to rule over me. And so you took the body, the intelligence, and the talents that God had entrusted to you to use for him and squandered them on yourself. Claiming to be free from God, you became a slave of sin. And like Onesimus, you were a condemned fugitive on the run, useless to your rightful master, guilty and indebted to him. You had robbed God, but even as God had his sovereign hand on Onesimus, so he had with you. In due time, you had the opportunity through his providence and at work in your life to have someone share the gospel with you. At first, maybe you were fearful of dealing with God, afraid to face uh, the guilt and condemnation that you knew you deserved. And yet, the Savior came, and the Savior offered to intercede for you. And just as Paul intercedes on behalf of Onesimus to Philemon, so Jesus says, don't plead your own case, don't say a word on your own behalf, just a, don't attempt to justify yourself or make excuses for yourself. You are guilty, own that. Just give the master this letter. And you look down and you read what Paul wrote in verse 17. He says, accept him as you would accept me. And that's what the gospel is, really. When we stand before God, I don't stand there with my resume saying, God, here's my best efforts. It's I stand there and say, you know what? I, he's my representative. And God accepts me in, when I'm in Christ as he sees Christ. But how can he do that, you ask? Well, what about all the wrong things I have committed for him? As you keep reading in verse 18, what does Paul say? If there are any charges, if he has done you wrong, if he has stolen from you, if he has damaged you, put that on my tab. I will pick up the price for that. I will cover that. And that's what Christ does for us. And the beauty of this little letter is that you get this picture of Paul believed the gospel, Philemon believed the gospel, Onesimus believed the gospel to be true, and it began to influence how they interacted with each other. And they begin to act towards and with each other in a gospel-centered, grace-centered way. And all of a sudden, you've got natural barriers and society's normal expectations of things being pushed aside and a new reality begins to take place. Because 
it changed the way that they saw God and how they related to God and how they changed to see how they related to each other. And so my hope for you, my prayer for us today, is that as you and I understand the gospel, that it would never just be this personal relationship with God, which I get what we say, we're saying when we say that. It has to be personal, but it can't be private. It can't be this thing, well, it's just me and God, and I'm still going to treat you like a jerk like I always have, but I, I got to let that grace begin to ooze out. I got to let that grace and that, this reality of this is what God has done for me, that needs to begin to impact everything around me so that people begin to see the grace of God at work in my life. That the old ways are going away and new things are coming. And so that's my prayer for you and for me. And maybe you're here today and, and you've never made that commitment to Christ. You've never responded to the gospel and allowed Christ to save you through your faith in him. And maybe this is a day for you to consider doing that, to think about that, to talk about that. But a lot of you here have made that decision, but maybe you've forgotten that God is calling you to allow that same grace that saves you to be the same grace that continues to change you and shape you and form you into who Christ is so that others will see Christ and be glorified. He will be glorified through your life. And so it's my hope today that we would be committed to that, to grow in Christ in these months ahead. Let's pray together before we sing our final song. Father God, we are thankful for who you are. Thank you for this little picture.